Hey, I'm Jamie from Stillmeyer Games, and I am here today live, if you're watching this live or in the future, not live, uh, to talk about Stillmeyer Games, to answer your questions, and to discuss random topics. I'm Jamie, as it says on the screen here, and here is the Stillmeyer Games bumper. There it is. There's a bumper. That's Stillmeyer Games. I have a bunch of different topics to talk about today. Hello, Garrett. Thank you for joining me. I did not schedule this in advance. Uh, so any of you who are being caught off guard by this, if you're not getting the alert on Facebook, it's because I'm um, running a few minutes behind this morning and didn't schedule it. But um, I am here as usual at 10 a.m. Central Time on Wednesdays, and I'm really excited to talk about a variety of topics with you today. Good morning, Carlos, Steve, Ian. Carlos mentions one of the topics I was going to bring up today. I got to appear on um, uh, Rado runs through Richard Ham. He did, or he has these these live streams where he's joined by collaborator, collaborator, collaborators Ruel, Ray, and Chris to talk about their top five games in a certain category. They do this live, and they decided to do one for their top five Stillmeyer games. And they invited me to join the live cast for number one. And I didn't know what to say to that. I mean, obviously, I was going to say yes. I want to join this live stream. I didn't know what to say to what game do I pick for number one because it would be a 16-way tie for all of our games. So I asked for some some uh, some limitations there, and I kind of decided upon the top game that I would play with the five with the four of them, five-player game with the four of them. And of well, not maybe not of course. Maybe it, Richard is somewhat infamous for not having played Scythe because of the conflict in Scythe. And so I would love to play Scythe with him and show him that Scythe really isn't a, a game about much combat at all. It's about the threat of combat, but not much combat actually happens in Scythe, at least the way I play it. So we talked about that a little bit in some various topics. I will put that link. Uh, you can look up uh, Richard Rado runs through. You can see that that uh, that episode. I think it's live right now. Went live a few minutes ago, or went uh, it, it went on YouTube a few minutes ago. It was live yesterday. Good morning, everyone who's joining me today. Thank you for, for popping in to say hi. Uh, so one of the, I guess, one question I'll throw out to you today is if you could play a game with the five of them, any game, not just a Stillmeyer game, if you could play any game with Richard Hamm uh, and his co-collaborator, collaborators, can't say that word today, Ruel, Ray, and Chris, what game would you choose? So it has to be a five-player game and you play with the four of them and yourself. Let me know what game you would pick. Good morning, my local friend Miles here, and also Red Rising artist Miles joining us today, along with some others. You can see out of the corner, of, you might be curious what I'm showing here. I got to play Dorf Romantic yesterday with Megan, and I decided to film a video about that. I also got to play some really great end of year games recently. So I'm, this is a kind of the time of year where a lot of games are released, or I'm trying to pack games in before the, the year is over for my top 10 list of 2023. And it's going to be a very difficult list to make. I played, uh, I've been playing a lot of role-player adventures, the expansion, but I played Last Light. I played the Fox Experiment and I played Santa's Workshop. That was my video on Tuesday. And that was, that was one of the, perhaps the biggest surprises because I was, I had high hopes for role-player adventures. I'm loving that. High hopes for the Fox Experiment designed by Elizabeth Hargrave. High hopes for Last Light. I've heard great reviews about that simultaneous play. I love that. I knew very little about Santa's Workshop other than that my friend Paul had worked on it as a developer. And I was really delighted by it. It's a really, really good game. And it's double-sided. The board is double-sided. One side with a, an easier side of the board for those who celebrate Christmas, who get into the, I don't know, the holiday spirit, whether or not they celebrate Christmas. 
um, but don't maybe know modern hobby games all that well. And there's a more complex side of the board that has elements of progression and the player mats are double sided as well. We played on the more, the more advanced side and I had a great time. Some great choices in that game. That's Santa's workshop. One of the games I was pleasantly surprised by. And I was delighted to play Dwarf Romantic, which my coworker Susanna let me borrow. And I had a great time playing it. Let's see. Um, I see a question from Justin here. What do you do with your magic cards after you draft? Do you collect, sell, or donate? Good question, Justin. I have a friend who plays uh, pauper magic, which is when you only use commons. And so I give that friend all my commons and uncommons. And I keep all the rares because someday I want to do a draft that is only rares across all the different sets that I've drafted over the years. So I have a big stack of rare cards. We almost have enough now for an eight-person draft that's only rares. I don't know if that would work, but I'm curious to find out. So I think we need one, we need to draft one more set, and then the one after that will be an all-rare draft. What do you do with those? So Justin's asking this because the only way I play Magic now is when a new set comes out. Sometimes when a new set comes out. I buy enough packs to play a booster draft with friends, and that's it. And then we're done with it. Play Tilt Hurts says, all competitive games have an element of combat in them. I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. No, I, I think all competitive games have uh, tension and, uh, and interaction with them. But combat is this very specific word. Combat is what is... I guess there are different forms of combat, but but combat is a, a militaristic term when you're actually fighting someone and probably knocking them back, knocking back their progress on something. Uh, yeah, I would say conflict, but not necessarily combat specifically. Brian mentioned playing, uh, I like this pick, the King's Dilemma with that group. I, that would be a, a great group to play the King's Dilemma with. Muse and Metal says that they are really enjoying the Fox Experiment. Well, yeah, I've only played it once so far, but I, I really had a great time with it. Uh, the the hook in the fox experiment of breeding foxes and creating new foxes and then having those foxes enter the public supply for the next generation of breeding, I thought was really clever. You put all this investment into creating something and then you have to temporarily at least say goodbye to it. But then you get to see other players interact with that fox and use that fox. And maybe you'll get that fox back. Um, instead of the other players, I, I really like that element of the Fox experiment. Music Metal says, would you ever publish a seasonally specific game like Santa's Workshop? That's a good question. Like, I feel about the marketability of a season-specific game. Maybe, maybe. Uh, yeah, I, I think there's something to be said for that. I, I, I'm not entirely sure, but... Um, I think in one, one way, it has a very tight uh, window for selling the game. Um, will people be interested in buying Santa's Workshop in January or February or March in the summer? Probably not. But every year you have this game where you probably see a pretty big uptick in sales. And you see people, or I, I think it's um, with the amount of games on, on some people's shelves, including mine, um, sometimes I need a specific reason to pull a game off a shelf. There are some spooky games that I pull out for Halloween, for example, um, to have a Christmas-themed game that we play every year at Christmas. That's great. I, I, I kind of like that. So I don't know if it's something I'd actively pursue, but I, I think that could be a marketability asset for a game um, instead of a detriment. A little bit of a de detriment, too. A little bit of both. 
Uh, let's see. Beverly has a long question. I'll see if it can fit on the screen. There we go. Um, Beverly says, the coolest thing happened this morning. I had my yearly wellness appointment and wore my Stonemeyer cat ear shirt. We were wrapping. That's our April Fool's shirt for this past year. We still have them on our website if you're looking for a fun Stonemeyer shirt. We were wrapping up towards the end and the doctor said, what is your favorite Stonemeyer game? That is really cool. Uh, he Even the doctor named some and then we talked about games for a bit. One of the first things I said, what, this is Beverly talking, was that I don't really don't know any board gamers. How unusual this was for me to be talking about games. He says he has 200 or 300 board games and his wife plays along with his parents when they come. That's awesome. I love gamers connecting with fellow gamers or introducing new gamers into the hobby. But Beverly, that's awesome that you happen to run into a fellow gamer at the doctor's office. Okay, Aaron asked some questions. Aaron, thanks. I had actually saved these questions, but I appreciate you asking. Aaron asked me some questions privately recently. And I said, why don't I answer these publicly so other people can hear the answers? So his first question is, I'd love to hear where you'd like, where you see the tabletop industry going in the next few years and where you'd like to see it go. Um, the first one is the hardest to answer, Aaron, because there's so many different ways the industry could go, uh, some positive, some negative. A few things I'll throw out there is, one, I think we'll continue to see innovation in components. I think it's more difficult now to have innovation, big innovations in mechanisms. We'll see little innovations, but I think many of the innovations will come in components because we live in an age where we can make pretty much anything and it's just a matter of, can we make it at scale at a reasonable price? Um, I think we'll see that. One negative thing I think we'll see more of are uh, counterfeit games. This is something that I encountered recently on Facebook. Someone posted a photo of a game, a copy of one of our games, Wingspan, that they were really excited to buy. And then they learned in that thread that they had bought a counterfeit version of Wingspan, which you can often tell um, so this isn't Wingspan, but oftentimes counterfeiters will remove the company logo from the box because then they can get around some of the easier to enforce laws around counterfeits. So if you see a game that usually has the company logo on the front of the box and it doesn't have that, that is a sign that it could be a counterfeit. And it is definitely a sign for our games in particular. Um, so Wingspan has the Stillmeyer Games logo up here. If that's not there, you have a counterfeit copy of Wingspan. Um, so it was an inter interesting thread about that, but I think we'll see more ca counterfeits uh, because uh, because components are easier to make. 3D, or in, not just 3D scanning, but high-res scanning is easier to do. I like the other, other side of the question more. Where would I like to see it go? I'd like to have fewer counterfeits as part of it. Um, I'd like more accessibility among games. I'd like to see better onboarding. So like tutorials, ways to get people into a game, especially with complex rules. Um, I'd like, I, I've noticed a trend, a trend that uh, that we joined. We saw a company called, um, I'm blanking on the name now, the company that has Ticket to Ride. I saw that company, uh, they would really only publish like one or two games a year. And I really admired that. And it, it, Age of Wonders, why am I blanking on this name? Um, but this, this company is known for that. And so that's a model that Stonemaier Games has. We only publish one or two new games a year. We, we put the spotlight on those games. We don't try to throw a bunch of games out and hope that a few of them hit. We put a lot of love in each, each of our games. And so I'd love to see, I, I've seen more companies doing that. I'd love to see even more companies do that. Uh, publish fewer games, um, focusing only on the ones that they, they really, really, really love. Um, same for designers too. I, I don't necessarily want to discourage designers to design fewer games, but maybe to be more selective about the games that they choose to pursue publication for. Um, I think we'll see, or I, I think this is one that I, I think we'll see either way. I, I'd like to see it, and I think we'll see more games that play, that focus on playing really well at one or two player counts, in addition to higher player counts, but especially those one or two player counts, I think is becoming more and more common. Um, 
And I think we'll see, this is again, not a prediction necessarily, but for a while now, I, I, I think we'll see fewer campaign games. I think it's harder to get campaign games to the table unless they play really well solo or at two players. Um, yeah, that's, that's more of a prediction than something I'd like to see either way. I'm fine with campaign games. I just don't, I, I, I think people are maybe a little inundated with them. Thank you for those questions, Aaron. I appreciate that. I appreciate the heads up so I can think about them in advance. Let's see. Dave says just he just played Raiders of the North Sea for the first time. I love the place one take one worker placement mechanism. Do you know of any other games that use a similar mechanism? Gugong has something a little bit similar. It uses cards instead of workers, but it is a little bit similar in that you are placing a card and also gaining a card. Um, I don't know. I'll throw this question out to other people. Like, can you think of other games that have this place one take one mechanism for worker placement like in Raiders of the North Sea? Aaron has another question here. How do you think new game mechanisms can develop from here? I think um, it's just a matter of iterating. Uh, like oftentimes, oftentimes when I stumble upon a new mechanism, it isn't because I had some brilliant idea. It's because I played the game a lot and I, I observed how play, play testers were playing the game. I think a lot of the innovation from games is happenstance from actually getting the game to the table and seeing what emerges, what type of uh, behavior emerges as you're actually playing. Yeah. Uh, Jeff has a recommendation here for the Raiders. Uh, Jeff says he backed, he backed Forges of Ravenshire, which had a place one, take one dice placement mechanism. Uh, he enjoyed the demo and looks forward to playing it. That's cool. I haven't, I'm not familiar with that one. I, I remember being on Kickstarter, but I don't have it. Mr. Fausto says, if someone sent you a game board project, so a, a game, what are the first things you look to see if there's an opportunity to make something of it? The very first few things that we see are, does it meet our submission guidelines? We have a big page on our website about game submissions. Uh, we have certain things that we're looking for, certain things that we're not looking for. And so that's definitely the first thing that we look for. Does it meet the things that we are specifically looking for, which you can check out on our submission page? Every publisher has different things that they're looking for. Days of Wonder, not Ages of Wonder, Days of Wonder. Thank you, Garrett. Thank you, James. Oh, Ian has had a similar experience at the doctor's office. He says uh, that his physical therapist was talking about, and we're talking about games, and she was talking about a game I knew, and I knew she was talking about Wingspan. That's awesome. That Wingspan, Wingspan has had the incredible blessing of reaching outside the hobby and bringing new people into the hobby. I love games that end up doing that. Mike says that he recently had good experiences with Apiary and Expeditions. Uh, I'm glad you're having fun with them, Mike, and Euphoria is on the way. And that did remind me, remind me, one of the things I wanted to briefly mention today is that we had two game anniversaries happen recently. We had the Between Two Cities was originally had its retail release last week in 2015. So that means Between Two Cities is having its eighth birthday now. And Charterstone, I believe it was yesterday or today, had its uh sixth birthday it was released in 2017 around this time so two december retail releases for between two cities and charterstone so happy birthday to both of those games um yeah two games that i i very much love Kay says he was watching a new documentary about german game designers and uber rosenberg says something i can't get out of my mind he says he puts the most uh, puts the most of his design energy into the first 10 minutes and the rest just kind of falls into place. That's a really interesting case. The first 10 minutes of a game. That's really fascinating. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's that's really interesting. And how it falls into place after that. That that part of it is also really interesting to me. Especially since, in my opinion, um, how a game ends 
can uh, have a big impact on how on on people's impressions of it. I think he, Uva is talking a little bit more about the design aspect of the game, but uh, from the the player aspect, I think the the end is so important. It's like having a movie that starts strong but ends weakly. You often end up walking away remembering how it ended rather than how it began. George says, uh, where and how can we track down the current printing of each Stonemaier game from the box itself, or do you track it on the website? That's a good question, George. Um, so the games we sell on our website are, yeah, how do we say this? So when we reprint a game, we don't make any significant different uh, changes to the game. Uh, we we maybe tweak a word in the rules, but maybe fix a typo, things like that. But we don't make any big changes to reprints. And so if you are buying a version of our game that is available either on our web store or from a retailer, uh, a, a new game, you are getting the kind of the official final version of that game. Um, it's really not possible, though, to to if, if, it, if for some reason that you really care about the very most recent printing, even though I would not say that's that's important to do. Um, it is almost impossible to do that. There is a little code on the back that we barely even track ourselves. I can go to Panda and say, hey, we just printed what the 25th printing of Wingspan. What is the special code for this? For this uh, version of it and you could find it on the back of the box but that would really be tedious i would say if people were asking about that um and it would it would, you wouldn't be able to find it on our web store you would have to go to the game store and look at the back of the box to see what code that is and really honestly if you found a different code than the one that i mentioned that does not not make the game any newer than the, the most recent printing of the game um like I said, at most, maybe there's a typo or so that that's slightly different in, in that game, but very, very minor things. Blind Sin says, they love Expeditions. Are you working on any expansions for 2024? I uh, We are. Yeah. In fact, I'll show you here. I'll share my other screen here. Um, I'll show you where you can find this on our website. So I'll go over to our website here. Here's our website. And you can see right here. If you go to our website under news, if you want to see what we're working on, you can just scroll down here to the progress chart and see what we have in the works. And you can see things like Expeditions Expansion 1. You can see that it has pretty good progress and that it will release sometime in 2024. So you can see all these different games here. That's also in our monthly e-newsletter, but I update it right before the newsletter here. If you ever want to see what we're, what we're currently working on. Garrett says, when reviewing playtest feedback, you only make changes if most people mention an issue or other times where one person mentions something that nobody else has that makes you implement a change. A little bit of both. Yeah, if there's sometimes it's something that I am I have my doubts about, but if enough playtesters say it, even just a few playtesters say it, then I'm like, okay, this is a, this is a Jamie thing. The playtesters are correct here. I will find a solution for this. But oftentimes, too, a playtester says something that really hits home with me. And even though only one person noticed it or said it, that could inspire a change, too. Yeah. Um, a few quick, I'll, I'll, well, I'll keep going on questions. I'll, I'll uh, yeah. Brennan says, how do you decide what games to pursue on your own? I'm working on two games right now, but I have around 10 other ones brewing, and I'm not sure how to determine which ones to pursue or invest in. It's a good question, Brennan. Mostly I go by, um, by what what excites me the most and what I think can actually work and what I think is also marketable. I'm, I'm approaching all the those different angles 
given the different hats that I wear at Stillmeyer Games. And this is only a question for me early on in a game, um, because once a game starts to work and function and become fun, then it's definitely one of the two games that I'm working on. And uh, oftentimes I have two games in that in that uh, in that stage um, or somewhere in that stage. So if I have two games that I'm working on, I don't try to add a third. I really try to avoid adding a third because it it uh, it's a little bit too much. Um, because I think it takes the focus away from the two that I really need to work on. So really, it's just a, a, an early decision that I'm trying to make as I like when I finish one of a project, then I'll look at uh, if I if I am really inspired to work on something new, then then I'll, I'll give it a shot. And if it does work, then I'll, I'll go into it a little bit more and a little bit more. So there's a very soft answer. This isn't um, a very informed answer, but I, I would say it's it. It's really only a question early on. And Brendan, I would almost say if you are questioning it, then that might mean that one of the two that you're currently working on maybe isn't one of the two that you actually want to work on and maybe maybe put it aside for a little bit and try one of these other 10 games that you have to see if you are much more excited to pursue that one. And if it moves along uh, at, a, at a brisker pace than, than one of the two that you currently are. Yeah. Mike says, I'm currently learning InDesign. That's the program that I use for Prototypes 2 and how to combine that with Illustrator and Excel for cards. After cards are printed, how soon into that process should I get feedback to get outside feedback on fun. Um, so my, my process, at least, I can't speak for you, but my process is when I'm designing a game, I am playtesting either by myself and or locally until the game is both functional and fun. So I'm, I'm doing that on an ongoing basis until the game is functional and fun. And then, then I, I go to blind playtesting. That's when I look for outside feedback. So I would focus on local playtests until the game is both functional and fun. If you're, if you're, uh, yeah, I don't know what stage exactly you're on. Maybe you've, you've play, uh, play tested up until this point, but um, yeah, I would, I would. That's how I do. It. I, I don't want to subject blind play testers or unguided play testers to a game that uh, that isn't yet fun yet, in my opinion, or isn't yet functional. There's some random topics that I have. We had our fun cookbook club, holiday cookbook club. We we have this cooking group where we choose one cookbook. And we each choose a recipe from that cookbook and we get together and make those, well, we make those recipes in advance and then we bring the, the the final dishes to the table and share them and eat them. And we had this, we didn't do it for a specific cookbook. We just all picked a holiday dish that we wanted to make. I made this tearaway pizza bread that I saw on Instagram that was fun to try, fun to make and fun to eat. That was this past Sunday. Also played some disc golf, some beautiful weather this past weekend. And... Um, had a good playtest night. I got together with some some friends on Friday. Speaking of local playtests, I got together with some friends, and it was actually really nice. I'm discovering this. Uh, this isn't something that I've had for a while, but I'm finding it is nice to have a playtest group that isn't for a specific game. It's just, I would say, every month or so, we might meet up and just bring something that we're experimenting with to the table, understanding that it might not be very good at that point at all. But we just want to try it and give it a shot and see how it works. I brought a very, very light game, an uncharacteristic game for, for my designs to the table just to see how it worked. And we had fun. Well, I had more fun than I expected because I did not think the game was going to work at all. But I found it was really fun to have a group where there weren't any big expectations for it. See, my mom is popping in here. Hi, mom. Thanks for, for, for uh, joining us. If you have any questions for my mom, she might be available to answer them for a few seconds. Um, uh, what else is going on? One of the questions I wanted to ask you today. Uh, so I was contacted the other day by a group who 
uh, or really a host, a person who is hosting a game day in a few days where they are only going to play Stonemaier games for 12 hours. And they're going to see how many Stonemaier games, how many different Stonemaier games they can play in 12 hours. And I'm curious about your predictions. How many Stonemaier games, how many different Stonemaier games do you think you could play in 12 hours if you weren't really even rushing things, if you were just enjoying the games and you wanted to play as many as possible? Obviously, some of our games, like Smitten, are shorter than others, so you could get in those a little bit faster. My estimate for this group, I, I predicted that they will end up playing around 10 games over the course of the 12 hours. But that might even be a little bit high because a number of our games play like 90 minutes to 120 minutes. So we'll see about that. But I'm curious what your prediction would be if you had a group of people come over and you tried to play only Stonemaier games for 12 hours. How many do you think you would get through? So here are some questions for my mom. We'll see if she answers. Beverly says, did Jamie play a lot of board games as a child? I can also answer these a little. I, I did play a lot of board games as a child, um, both with family and friends. Brian says, did you have any favorite games to play as a family when Jamie was young? I can think of some, but let's see if my mom wants to answer that one. Uh, Brennan says, I think it's now, so Brennan was the one that asked about what game to choose to pursue. I think it's now between figuring out if a game is worth pursuing now or later, one of them may take a year or two and determining if I'm, my time is worth that investment. It's a good question to ask, Brennan. Um, I think, again, I'm, I might almost say a little bit, if you're questioning it, it's a good question to ask, but if you're continually questioning, questioning that, it might be a sign that that isn't the game to pursue right now. Um, yeah, I don't know. Garrett says, what's the player count for the group? It, it can be whatever the player count you want, whatever, whatever the player count you want it to be. William says he also predicts 10 games for 12 hours. That was my prediction. George tried it last year and played three to four games in seven to eight hours. Okay. I'm guessing Tapestry, maybe a size was among them. Steve predicts seven games. Rocky says eight to 10 games. And um, let's see. David says, I'll play four in the nap for the remaining four, seven hours. Yeah. Brian says, seven games at a leisurely place with plenty of social, socializing and meals. Um, so mom, if you're still here and you want to answer the question, the other question was, uh, did you have any favorite games to play as a family when we were, when we were young, when we were growing up? Uh, the other question I wanted to ask, that was kind of a fun question. One question I wanted to ask for you today, um, I want to do a video soon about positive player interaction. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on positive player interaction. I've done a video about this a long time ago, but I'd like to bring it back up. And uh, so there, uh, this was, I was reminded of this recently in multiple games, Last Light, Santa's Workshop, and Fox Experiment. They all had play, uh, positive player interaction in competitive games. Uh, I, I love that. And so I'm, I'm curious if you have a favorite game with positive player interaction that you really enjoy. A favorite competitive game with, with positive player interaction. Um, one of my favorite mechanisms. My mom says that uh, that I played, and I think she includes we. we played The Amazing Labyrinth. Yeah, a game that I still enjoy. I don't have access to it easily, but uh, but I do enjoy The Amazing Labyrinth. 
James says, what was Jamie's best subject in school? That's an interesting one. What my, what my, um, my mom will say to that question. What, what does she think my best subject was in school? Susanna says earth for positive player interaction. I absolutely agree with that. That's a great pick, Susanna. And yeah, let me know your picks for positive player interaction. I did a blog post this past Monday about, uh, I, I spoiled all the teasers that I had for Stillmeyer games in 2023. At the beginning of the year, I, I offered a riddle, some clues to what we were going to release this year. And I answered what those riddles were. And I actually almost completely forgot one of them. I almost out riddled myself and had to like stare at the computer screen to try to figure out what I intended by this clue. I finally remembered that I was talking about the, um, the tapestry organizer found uh, made by Fold of the Space that we sell on our web store. Um, but it took me a while to figure that one out. That was a tough one. So this year I need to write down, write down the answers in advance. Um, so that was uh, my, my blog post this past Monday. What was my video this past Sunday? Sunday I talked about, oh yeah, 10 games that use both sides of the cards. Uh, for card, so games that have cards where both sides of the cards are used for um, where they have specific elements printed on both sides that are used, not just cards that you can flip over and use a generic back. It's where the, the second side of the card has something specific printed on it that you can use. That was a fun video. Let's see. My mom says that I enjoyed everything Japanese when I was in school. Yeah, I started studying Japanese in seventh grade and I was pretty good at it. I, I definitely over the years encountered people who were far, far better at Japanese than me, but um, I was pretty devoted to it, at least pretty devoted to learning Japanese. Brennan mentions Downforce as a game with positive player interaction. I'll, I'll mention that on my list if I haven't already. I think that may have been, I need to go back and look at my, my previous list. Yeah, it was on my previous list. Um, that's a great one. James says he likes in Fox Experiment how when the person wins the award for the most powerful box, the second place player gets a bonus too. Yeah, I really like that as well, James. So Ian says he thinks he can get through his entire Stillmeyer collection um, within 12 hours. Playing solo, yeah, I could, I could definitely see that happening. Carol's also really enjoying Santa's workshop. It's her son's favorite game right now. Yeah, that's wonderful. I had a great time with it. Here's Paul. I had a great chat with Paul and his podcast. Um, this past week, Paul, yeah, it was great to, to chat with you all about, about uh, some of our, what makes games fun uh, for us. Feel free to include a link to that, Paul, in the, in the comments here, if you'd like to share that. George says, I would have, have to say foreign languages as a child and maybe economics marketing as a young adult, young student or adult. Oh, George is predicting for me. Um, you know, I wish I had studied even more languages as a child. I, I don't think I'm great at mastering languages, but uh, I seem to pick up some basics of languages pretty well. So I wish I had also built in uh, a romantic language, a Spanish language, uh, Spanish, for example, in there, and maybe Chinese. Um, economics, marketing, you know, I wasn't, yeah, I, I was decent at those. I was not very good at accounting uh, once I got to that that part of, of business school. But economics, marketing, maybe the marketing more than the economics part of it, yeah. Beverly says, did I create any games or rewrite rules when I was young? I did create quite a few games. Yeah, from maybe age eight on. A lot of my early games were like different versions of existing games. The first game I designed was called Medieval Quest. 
And it was basically Monopoly with uh, a Camelot theme, a Knights of the Round Table theme attached to it. And then I designed like my own version of Scotland Yard and uh, uh, some other games like that as, as I was growing up. My own version of Risk, things like that. So Matt's talking about games of the year. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of like best games of 2023. I don't make my list until 2023 is over. I still have weeks to play games in 2023. Um, Tribes of the Wind definitely kind of seemed to fly under the radar quite a bit. I haven't played it, but I've, I've heard pretty good things about it. Um, this is going to be a really tough list for, to create this year, though, because I think 2023 was a really, really good year for game releases. I played a lot of great games. Usually, like in some years... There are, in fact, I had a year a couple of years ago where there were so many uh, new editions of games, or a lot of time and effort and resources gone into those new editions that I made a top 10 list of new editions. And then I didn't really have a problem creating a list of the other uh, top 10 new games for that year. This year, there are very few new editions that I played and mostly, uh, mostly new, new games um, and great new games. So it's going to be a very difficult top 10 list with a, a bunch of games that maybe would normally be on the top 10 list being in the honorable mentions this year. Do you all feel the same way? Do you feel like this is a particularly strong year for game releases? Uh, Danny says, I like multifunctional cards in games. Yeah, I have a different video about that that came out a while ago, maybe a few months ago, but I, I do really like that too. Uh, the latest I played and previewed is The Last Lighthouse. Danny, feel free to share a link to that if you want to share your, your preview of The Last Lighthouse. I'm curious about that. James says, ah, Nihongo. That makes sense. Nihongo means the, the Japanese language. Yeah, got to, got to study that for a long time and studied abroad in Japan a couple times. Skylar mentions the positive player interactions of raising robots. That is, uh, yeah, definitely one of the reasons why I really enjoy that game. I didn't, I don't have it on my list right now, actually, but I will add it, raising robots. Good pick. Or at least that pick definitely resonates with me. Brennan says, how would I categorize games like Seven Wonders where you interact with players positively or negatively, but often it's just by chance and sometimes happens by accident? I'm I think uh, indirect positive player interaction does qualify for this list, but I, I'll probably focus mostly on things that you do where you know it is helping another player and you still feel good about it. Um, or maybe you feel good about it both because it's positive and because of whatever benefit you're getting as well. So Seven Wonders, the positive part is the trading element of the game. Um, but I would say that's fairly indirect. You're, yeah, I, I would say that's indirect enough that I probably won't qualify for this list. But I see where you're going with that. Mike says, would you consider hegemony as a game with positive interaction? It sure feels like it sometimes. There's a lot of different nuanced and, and direct interactions in hegemony. Would I call it positive though? I mean, there are times where you um where you and your opponents or an opponent has a similar pri a priority to you. Like they might move one of those uh, tracks in the upper left of the board. They might move it in such a way that uh benefits you while also probably hurting the third player at the table. Um so it does, yeah, I would say it does have positive player interaction, uh, but it can change throughout the game. Marco says, I did study a little bit of Chinese in high school. I didn't, Mom. I studied uh, uh, just Japanese and Latin in high school. Emily, my sister, did study Chinese along with French in, in high school. Uh, let's see. Merlin's Manor mentions Everdell has cards that give you that have you give resources to another player. 
plus visiting locations belonging to another player and giving a victory point for doing so. Yeah, that's bringing up a good question. Should I count these things where you have made something for yourself and other people get to use it? I think so. I think I'll count that. But yeah, I think Everdell is a, is a good pick for that. That reminds me a little bit like, do I count Lords of Waterdeep? Um, because in Lords of Waterdeep, you are you can invest in buildings that any player can then use from then on. It's on the edge. I'll, I'll make a note of it to see if I want to include that. Uh, Carol mentioned that I have a fun old video on uh, games that I developed when I was a kid or when I was a child. Uh, you can search for either of those to see. So it's a, a list of yeah, me showing all the different games that I designed when I was young. That is a fun video. James says, in Dungeons, Dice, and Danger, when a monster is defeated for the first time, remaining players may deal one damage to that monster, even if they haven't accessed the monster's room yet. You can see that as a little touch of at least positive player, at least a player interaction, and sounds like you had a positive experience with it. Oh no, Paul broke his foot. I'm so sorry, Paul. That's rough. Uh, I hope you're not in too much pain right now. So uh, the the podcast is in uh, will come out next Monday. The the one that I appeared on from uh, Games Overboard. If you want to check that out in Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> Ian says, we need Medieval Quest, the first game of design when I was eight years old, for real now. Uh, I don't know if you do. Um, it's very Monopoly-like. I think the only innovation from Monopoly is that in addition to going around the exterior of the board, there's like an interior part of the board that represents the, the round table itself. So a tiny little twist on uh, Monopoly. Paul asked about Last Light. Yeah, Last Light was one of the games I played in the last week, along with uh, the Fox Experiment and Santa's Workshop. and uh, I had a lot of fun with it. Uh, I, it's the type of game that could easily overstay its welcome if it were not simultaneous because it's it's a conflict-heavy game. There are things that you invest in that others are going to take away from you. Um, so that would that would be annoying for me if it was a two-hour, three-hour, four-hour game. But in a game that's one hour because of the simultaneous play, I'm, I'm down for that. Uh, given that that type of conflict, that type of combat is only a small part of the game. There are many other things that you're doing. So... I thought it was, a, I was, I was really impressed by it. I'm, I'm glad I pre-ordered it. George says for my mom, how competitive was I as a little child? Again, I'm curious about my mom's answer for this, what she'll say about this. Kirk says that his daughter recently aged into wingspan and is loving it. That's wonderful. She would love a wingspan patch for her jacket. Any chance of someday producing fully embroidered patches for your games? That isn't a market that I, or a product that I know anything about, Kirk. Um, so that's a it's a new to me question. I, I it's completely off my radar. I I don't know if I've. It's something that I think we would only do in small batches. I don't think we could mass produce it, given um, that this is the first time anyone's ever asked for it. But uh, it's something we consider if we if we have enough people ask about it. Yeah. Carol mentions Concordia as a great game for positive player interaction. I agree. Yeah, it looks like I do have that one on my list. Already, but that's, that's that's a great pick. Oh, Melissa's here from Tantrum House. The ladies of Tantrum House just recorded our top ten games of 2023. It will go live uh, soon. As she said, it was really tough to pick ten games, and several Stormar games made the list. And Melissa, I'm actually since a fellow content creators here, I'm curious about the strategy of releasing uh, top ten games, top ten games list before the end of the year is over. I'm sure there's a reason for doing this. Maybe they, the 
the clicks and hits go way down if you wait until the new year. Um, from my perspective, I've always waited until the end of the year. I've waited until the year is over because I know that I still have uh, two plus two plus weeks, maybe almost three weeks now of playing games before I make my list. I know some of them will include 2022 releases. But let me know if there's a, maybe a content creator strategy there between, uh, around posting top 10 lists for the year before the year is over, but still near the end of the year. William mentions one that will definitely be on the list or be mentioned on the video. Apiary has a lot of positive player interaction. It's built almost entirely around positive player interaction. He mentions the bumping, the exploring, uh, the the adding strength of workers, the other workers that are already on the board. Thank you, William, for mentioning that. Ian mentioned Creature Comforts has one that has that element of Lords of Waterdeep where you're building something that any player can visit from now on and use that resource. That's a good pick. Jeff mentioned, oh, this is an interesting one. It's an interesting, unfriendly, positive player interaction because in land versus sea, because it's so tight and you're trying to limit how much you benefit the other player. That's true. Like It's a game where you can't help but to benefit the other player. And you're actually trying to, by the way that you place the tiles, to help them as little as possible. That's an interesting one. All right, here's my mom answering if I was competitive or not. She says, I always tried to blend competitiveness with modest behavior. Not sure if I always did that, but I appreciate my mom saying that. Um, Hopefully, I think I've matured a little bit over the years, and that means I was definitely less less mature for for many years as well. Uh, I have found for many years though that I I really want other people to have fun at the table with me. That's always on my mind when I'm playing games. I think it probably was on my mind at least a little bit when I was young that I wanted other people around the table to be having fun. And so while I enjoy being competitive, I enjoy trying to win. I uh, I want other people to have fun as well while while we're playing. George says, if Stillmire Games wasn't a part of my life, would I have considered dropping off Facebook and maybe other social media apps or activities? Hmm, that's an interesting question. If Stillmire wasn't part of my life, I probably wouldn't have joined uh, Instagram. That was one that I joined specifically for Stillmire. And I'm glad I did. Instagram has become definitely, I, I would say, my favorite social media platform. I really, really like the general positivity on Instagram. There are certainly instances, I saw one just the other day of, of, of negativity and negativity is sometimes uh, justified and warranted, but um, I generally go to Instagram to to uh, to lighten my day and it usually accomplishes that goal. I'd, I would still be on Facebook. Yeah. Um, I yeah, I, I've gotten off Twitter completely personally. Still, my games is still on Twitter, but we barely use that account um, and we use Discord now. We have the blog, we have YouTube, lots of different forms of social media. I probably would still be on social media. In fact, I know I would be on social media even without Summer Games. I was on Facebook before Summer Games existed. And I think I would still be on there. Yeah. Okay. I asked Melissa at Tantrum House uh, if there's a, like a reason to publish top 10 games before the year is over. And Melissa points out, yeah, uh, they like to watch the video to get ideas for Christmas gifts. That definitely makes sense. And uh, a different Melissa popped in. Yeah, I hear that, Melissa. That's That's a good reason. Um, I have, well, for Stillmire Games, for example, there's a day there, or there was a day, December 11th, that was the cutoff for guaranteeing that you would receive a game that you ordered from our web store by Christmas. Um, so oftentimes when those lists come out after, I would say early December, there's no longer a guarantee that they'll arrive on time, but, uh, but it does help people choose what, what gifts to buy, what, what games to pursue at the end of the year. I can see that. 
Melissa says, uh, my favorite gaming partner moved away. I feel like I've lost my passion for gaming. I'm trying to get it back. I'm sorry to hear about, about your favorite gaming partner moving away, Melissa. That's rough. Um, yeah, that is that is really hard. And I, I'm, I'm sorry about that. Yeah. Danny says, I don't participate... I don't anticipate playing any more new games before the end of the year. I think posting top 10 lists also helps people develop their holiday wish lists or gift buying for others. That, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, yeah, I, I, I would say if, if that is the strategy, I would generally recommend releasing those lists in very early December, like the first week of December at the latest, because guaranteed holiday shipping stops becoming a thing um, in, in mid-December. Yeah. Brian says, the patch question made me curious about how you navigate unofficial stuff like on Etsy. How does IP protection work for those items, or do you see it as a positive? So, Brian, yeah, we have a uh, an official third-party accessory policy where if someone wants to make an unofficial third-party, so it's an official guidelines, but it, if someone wants to make an unofficial Stellmeyer Games product, they just have to reach out to us and say, hey, I want to do this. This is what I'm thinking about making, and we send them the guidelines. It's a one-page document that says that you have to make it very clear that it's not an official Stellmeyer Games thing. You can't use trademark names or logos on the product itself. Like you can't stitch the word wingspan onto your wingspan basket. Um, you can't replace any gameplay elements of the game. So like you can't sell wingspan cards, for example. You can't do that. Um, and you, you can't ask us to market for you. We are not here to market your third-party accessory for you. So as long as someone follows those guidelines, they are allowed to do it. They, they have to sign that they understand the guidelines and they're allowed to sell those third-party accessories uh, with no royalties or anything like that. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's how we do it. Carlos has a question about positive player interaction. Let me take a sip of coffee real quick, Carlos. Hmm. Carlos mentions a power similar to one in Last Light. He says, I personally don't like powers that say earn X and give Y to someone else. These come in two flavors. You give it to a specific person, like the person to your left, or, or give it to the person you choose. If you give it to a specific person, that implies the order in which people sit can have a very large impact on the outcome of the game. If you choose the person, then usually people feel obligated to always give the bonus to the same person, for example. I see what you're saying there, um, Carlos. Uh, so in last light, whenever you take the, uh, the trade uh, action, you have to give a resource from the supply to another player. Um, I would say that we found ourselves giving it, we played a three-player game. Whenever I did it, I would give it to a, the, not the player that I had given the previous resource. Um, but you're right. The other option is just to have the game say, give a resource to the player on your right or left, uh, which does, takes that selection out of it, that selection bias, but it means the player order and seating order does matter. I lean towards that version of it, unless it's a game with really high interaction and a lot of trading and conflict. Uh, where I think that those sorts of little gifts can can be a pretty big asset for the game, in my opinion. Paul says that he makes holiday buying guides for his listeners every year. Not really a top 10 games of the year, but definitely a list of my top picks for people to purchase. And I do like that method, Paul. I will say of the, of the different methods uh, I of, of playing games. Although uh, Danny earlier says that if you if you don't anticipate playing any new games for the rest of the year, then you might as well make the list if you're not going to play any other new 2023 games for the rest of the year. But uh, but yeah, I like the holiday buying guides. I think that works well. Ian says, do I have a link or name of the video of games that I designed as a kid? Let me see if I can find it on my other screen over here. 
search for the word child on my YouTube channel. Yeah, here we go. Um, I'll pull up the other screen. So this is 10 games I designed as a child. You can search for the word child on my YouTube channel and find this video. Tim says the worker placement opportunities in Whistle Mountain are quite positive. You know, I have not played that one yet. I need to still play Whistle Mountain as as a as a game to play. Hilda mentions movie recommendations. What are you guys watching this holiday season? A new favorite for me has been Eight Bit Christmas, which stars Neil Patrick Harris telling his daughter the story of how he got his first Nintendo. It's full of eighties nostalgia and laughs. I need to check that out. That sounds that does sound fun. Um, we haven't watched many holiday movies so far. We did recently watch the new Hunger Games movie, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, and I thought it was great. I thought maybe it went on a little bit long, but the first two hours were some of the best two hours of, of film that I've seen in 2023. Really, really enjoyed those, those first two hours. Um, but we'll have to check out 8-Bit Christmas. Thank you, Hilda, for that recommendation. Here we go. My mom has some more insight. This is my mom. She says, my desire to have people enjoy a game was true, was so true this Thanksgiving. He was playing a game called Patchwork with my nephew, who is five. He's five. Growing up so fast, it was the first time the nephew played and Jamie was able to use house rules so the nephew could be successful and eager to play the game again. Yeah, I play with my my little, my little five-year-old nephew. Um, mom had actually taught him the game and he was doing really well with Patchwork. And uh, my mom had to go. And so I popped in and took her place. And we used a, a little house rule. We're in patchwork. Normally, when you get the little, um, the, the, the single squares, that just a single square, you have to put it into your quilt right away, at least the way I understand the rules. And I made a little house rule because he, uh, little Aaron was a little frustrated. He wanted to wait for the right moment to place those. He didn't really have any good places to place them yet. And so I said, okay, just put them aside. And when you're ready, put them into your quilt. And that way he was able to fill some very specific holes that emerged later on in his quilt. So that was a little house rule um, so that Aaron could have more fun with this first play. And really that's the guideline that I've given my mom. My mom uses this too, whenever she shares games with others, where if you have a doubt about the rules, go with a thing that's more fun in that moment. Uh, that's a that's a general rule that I use. What's the more fun thing? If you have If, if you can't find the rule, if you have a doubt about the rules, do the thing that's more fun. Let's see, Neil says, there's a question about Apiary or other games with difficult, difficulty levels in general. So this is Apiary Automa specifically. Apiary, the core game, does not have different levels of difficulty. Neil says, the rules recommend level two for the first game. Why not level one? Why start at the lowest level? I can't exactly answer for Automa, Neil, because I'm not part of the Automa team. But I believe the reason they do this is that no matter what happens in your after your first game, you have someplace new to go. If you lose the first game, you can make it a little bit easier for yourself. If you win the first game, then you can make it a little bit harder. Whereas if you start at level one and you lose, there's you just have to play level one again. Um, so I actually think this is a really this is what we do in Smitten actually as well in the in the competitive version of Smitten um, and the Automa version of Smitten, where you start in with the the middle the middle uh, option, and if you win, you you can make it a little bit harder. If you lose, you can make it a little bit easier. Ian says he rewatched the Mills speculation video about 2023's teasers, the puzzle that I presented at the beginning of the year. Um, 
And he says, was I surprised at how many they got correct or were close? So Ian, I didn't actually rewatch the video when I wrote the blog post, but I do remember watching it earlier in the year and I was surprised by how many they got very, very close or correct at that time. So the mill is the mill is on top of things. They know what they're talking about. Um, and I'm curious to see, I'll have to make the riddle even harder, I guess, for 2024 to try to stump them a little bit. Okay, Carlos's question was shortened a little bit. The question was, on the other hand, sometimes those players say give Y to all players, sometimes in a draft fashion. Is there a reason not to make benefits always reach all players and not one specific one? Great question, Carlos. I think I accidentally answered it a little bit, where if you have a game with a lot of player interaction, where you might want to have a different relationship in the game with one player over other players, then I think that might be a time to choose a specific player. Like if you may say you're in a game with conflict and you don't want a player to attack you, you could give them a resource and be like, hey, I'm giving you a resource here. Please don't attack me this round. Whereas you're right, in, in many other games, it can work well just to give the extra benefit to all players. Wingspan does that this in a, in a number of ways. Garrett says that the stream yard seems a little bit more stable this week. I agree. Um, I didn't make any changes. Maybe just better inter internet connection today. A few people are mentioning the 8-bit Christmas on... It's on HBO Max, so we'll definitely have to check that one out. I'll add that one to the list. Andrew says, can I tell us about your favorite disc golf course or favorite moments playing disc golf? I love my side edition putter. Thanks, Andrew. I've been throwing my side edition uh, putting approach. I've been using it for approaches more recently for like maybe 150, 200 feet. Um, but yeah, I, I love the question here. We, we play every weekend here in St. Louis at a different course. We have a bunch of different courses that are within like a 20-minute drive. And so depending on how we're feeling that day, it can really uh, change the course that we play at. So I have a lot of different courses that I love here. Uh, favorite moments playing disc golf. I have two aces. So those moments are definitely always positive memories to go back and think about when I'm thinking about disc golf. But I also love when we're playing partners and one of my partners does something or my partner in the game does something really amazing or when Megan does something amazing. Megan's really good at sometimes hitting these really, really long putts. I love seeing that. Um, I'm not a good putter. And so it is wonderful when even like a 20 foot putt goes in or when I'm feeling confident about my putting on any given day. Uh, we played at a place called White Birch this past weekend. And it was it was one of these courses where every every basket you you have the potential of birdieing. Um, I won't say easily because there are there are woods, there are things that can go wrong, but it's a fun course to play because everything is essentially an ace run. You can ace run every single basket. And so I had fun ace running every single basket and I played a clean round. I didn't, I didn't have any bogeys. So that was, that was a fun experience. <laughs> Carol from the mill says, when you watch everything and read on discord, you put together a lot of info and hints about Stillmar games, what's coming out in the future year. Yeah, you do. <laughs> Looking forward to hearing your predictions in 2024, Carol. Neil says, where are you in general with the hunger games? Are we going to see a hunger games board game? Now, you won't see a Hunger Games board game. Uh, we do have Red Rising, which the first book is a little bit like the Hunger Games. Um, I Yeah, I've read all the books. I've watched all the Hunger Games movies. And the, the, the first two hours of the latest Hunger Games movie, the newest one, the prequel, is probably, almost definitely, I would actually say, my, my favorite two hours of any Hunger Games movie. For the reason that the protagonist in the movie, or the, I'll call him the anti-hero of the movie, is by far the most active of any hero, any character, any protagonist throughout all of the Hunger Games books and movies. 
I think that's a problem that I have with some of the Hunger Games books and movies where the hero, who I definitely rooted for, was just kind of pushed and pulled around. Like uh, she did not have a lot of agency and did not make a lot of decisions. Um, a lot of the decisions were made for her by other people. But the uh, the the anti-hero in in the the sequel and the prequel, or at least one of them, makes a lot of great decisions or a lot of interesting decisions. Not necessarily great, but makes a lot of decisions. Yeah. So I really like that about the sequel or the prequel. Keep saying sequel. George says, any more summer games surprises before the year ends? No, we've we've had our final newsletter. Uh, our next newsletter won't be until January 3rd. So no new surprises in 2023 for some of our games. Danny says, with Rolling Realms, I'm curious if you had any other themes instead of the mini golf for the solo variant. Was Beyond the Realmverse an alternative that is now released as an expansion? Yeah, Beyond the Realmverse is its own standalone. Let's see if I have one handy. Yeah, here we go. Oh, uh, no, I have, I have Risky Rewards. That is a mini expansion. Uh, Beyond the Realmiverse is a solo, a replayable solo campaign that has its own little pack. You can buy it on our web store right now if you want it. Um, and it, yeah, it's essentially a mini, a mini solo campaign expansion for Rolling Realms that you can use with most combinations of of realms, including the promo realms. Uh, for Rolling Realms Redux, the new core set that will come out in 2024, same rules as Rolling Realms, just new realms in a box big enough to hold all realms that we've released. Um, that will have a new, a new solo, uh, thing in it and not mini golf, but something akin to the mini golf, uh, puzzle game, puzzle, so, solo campaign in the, in the core game, in the original core game. Ian says he's doing a couple of longer days over Christmas break and he's going to play my little scythe. That's awesome. Ian, I hope you have fun with that. And then. Maybe end with a note from Susanna, my coworker and friend, adding to the positive player interaction list. And innovation, one of Susanna's favorite games, when you dogma a card and have a few of the required symbols, have fewer of the required symbols than your opponent, they get a share action first. It can be a tough choice. Good pick there, Susanna. I appreciate that. Well, I love the positivity today. Thank you for joining me for this live cast, uh, for the questions, for your time. It's been a joy for me to spend this hour with you. I'll be, be back next Wednesday to spend another hour with you. Um, until then, if you have any other questions or thoughts, feel free to push them in the comments. And special thanks to my mom for showing up today. That was fun. Thanks, mom, for, for being here. All right. Have a great Wednesday. Take care. Bye.